following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. We are con- uh, continuing our study in 1 Peter this morning with chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, page 1017 in the Pew Bibles. I say continuing, but I mean concluding. <sighs> um, it was very tempting uh, last week to just lump these few verses in with the last week's text uh, as they are just a brief conclusion to this letter, almost like uh, Peter's signature. Sincerely, Pete. Um, but these uh, these few verses were most most likely written by Peter's own hand, um, but they carry much more weight than just a signature. So I want to look at them on their own as we close our study on this great epistle. First Peter five twelve through fourteen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak, that you would communicate the truth through me, a broken vessel as I am. I pray, Father, that we would hear your word clearly, that we would understand the meaning and apply it so that we grow to be more like you as a result of our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know how much you remember about sermons from week to week or month to month. Um, I don't. <laughs> That's why I write them down. Um, in our very first look at the letter of First Peter, um, in our introductory study, we looked at the three major factors in studying any given text. Uh, the author, the audience, and the author's intent. Now, this is the original author, the original audience, and the original author's intent. Those are very important because when we separate the word from those things, we come up with meanings that were never intended. And the Bible can never mean what it never meant. Um, if Peter didn't mean it when he wrote it, he it, it doesn't mean that now. There's only one meaning, but a myriad of applications. Make sense? Okay. 
So if you remember from that study, we determined that the author was Peter. That's it's usually how you get epistles named after you. Uh, you write them, um, unless you're Paul, um, it, which is funny to Bible nerds, um, of which I am the only one in this room, apparently. So the difference between this letter of Peter and all of Paul's letter. Uh, Paul's letters, all 13 of his letters, is the audience. The audience is different. Paul wrote to specific churches in specific cities, as well as specific people, uh, and the letters were given the names of those cities and the churches and the people. Um, Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians, and then Timothy and Titus as well. Peter, however wrote to uh, groups of people um, in various places spread out over what is now known as northern Turkey. Uh, then it was called Asia Minor. Um, in the first, view, f- first few verses of chapter 1, give us this exact information. In 1 Peter 1, 1, it says the first word, Peter, there's a hint to your author. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And though these um introductory verses give us both the author and the audience and maybe a little hint at the author's intent in writing this letter. Uh, it isn't until we get to our text for today uh, that Peter's intent in writing this uh, letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion is made clear. You've got to wait till all the way at the end Peter says, that's why I wrote all this stuff right here. So, Peter says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. That's Peter's purpose for writing this letter. Um, So, just for information, Peter mentions Silvanus uh, here in verse 12. Uh, And Silvanus appears elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, You may remember Paul's companion named Silas. They're the same person. It's just a variant uh, reading of the same name. Paul calls him both Silas and Silvanus. Um, He's mentioned several times uh, as a leader in the church. uh, You can see him mentioned in Acts 15, 16, 17, and 18. Um, he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey um, and co-authored with Paul First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, we say Paul wrote it, but you can read in the first few verses that Paul gives credit to other people for writing that letter as well. Um, so Peter regarded Silvanus, Silas, as a faithful brother. He says, he's a faithful brother, in my opinion. 
I don't know about you, but that's I think that's pretty high praise. Uh, this is the Apostle Peter, right? And uh, this is a strong endorsement um, for Silas or Silvanus and his um, his faithfulness. So Silvanus most likely functioned as Peter's secretary um, in writing this letter down. Um, Peter says, write this. And Silvanus was the guy who wrote it down, just like Luke did for um, Paul as well as others. Um, he also most likely delivered the copies of this, this letter himself um, uh, to the churches in northern Turkey. So Peter says, well, Silvanus's help in writing this and delivering this, I, I wrote this brief letter to encourage the churches to stand firm in the true grace of God. And as I look at our text for this morning, uh, as I often do, I can see, it's not my fault, there are three key words. I'm not the original author. I can't help that there are three um, key words here uh, used in this text. Um, and there, uh, this... Grace is the first word. Stand firm in the true grace of God. Um, And we've talked about grace before, but it bears reminding that the word grace means a gift, um, an unearned gift. In my mind, um, the verses that best describe grace at work um, and the Father's motivation for giving us grace were written by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. And I need more grace now. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the description of God's grace. God loves us because he made us. We are his workmanship. And even though we were spiritually dead because of our sin and rebellion against him, in his grace, he made us alive together with Christ. 
He raised us up from death and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He saved us from the consequences of our sin, not because of anything we had done to earn that saving. We're not good enough. He gave us salvation as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. There is no boasting of being worthy of that gift. There is, however, standing firm in that because the Father will never, ever revoke that gift. Last week, we talked about legionnaires standing firm together. Those Roman soldiers with their big shields and long spears packed close together, protecting one another, defending one another, working together as a group, standing firm as if fastened to the ground. Grace is the foundation that we are fastened to. In verse 13 and 14, Peter mentions the other two key words, love and peace. Verse 13, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This sounds like fun, doesn't it? We need to deal with some things here before we get to the two key words. The first is the mysterious lady. Who is the mysterious lady of Babylon? Mm. This is not the book of Revelation, so it's much easier to deal with. But first, Mark. We need to talk about Mark, because Mark is the easy one, because Mark is Mark. The one we know. John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, as you re may remember, it was Peter's telling of the life and ministry of Jesus, and Mark wrote it down. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, uh, and he uh, joined Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey, but chickened out and ran home to Mama in Jerusalem. Uh, but later he was restored. He went with Barnabas, and Barnabas continued to disciple him and invest in him. 
and he was restored to Paul and became a leader in the church, obviously quite useful in gospel ministry. Writing gospels elevates your status a little bit of usefulness, I think. Um, he was useful to both Peter and to Paul, uh, and it turns out also very useful to us because we can read his gospel. So that was easy. Now on to she who is at Babylon. It sounds a lot more mysterious than it actually is. Sorry to disappoint you. Peter wrote this letter from the city of Babylon um, in Chaldea. And um, this isn't a code word for Rome. Some people will tell you that's a code word for Rome. And Rome does get referred to later as Babylon. And you can read that in the book of Revelation. But because you are so educated on the timeline of the writing of books of Scripture, you know, obviously, that the book of First Peter was written 30 years before the book of Revelation. So Rome was not referred to as Babylon quite yet. Actually, not until after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., which is somewhere between five and ten years after this letter was written. After the destruction of Jerusalem, that's when the church started um, referring to Rome as Babylon. Um, but you, if you want to see that happen, you can read the book of Revelation. And then you can call me with all kinds of questions. Multiple, multiple questions. So the mysterious lady who is at Babylon is the church in Babylon. It is the congregation of believers in Babylon, simply the church in and around that city. No mystery, no codes, no secret meaning. Um, It wasn't Peter's wife. It wasn't some other noble lady who just didn't. He couldn't remember her name or whatever. It's no, it's just the church. Um, there's uh, mentioning an individual woman in this way, an individual person at all, is not consistent with Peter's writing style. And he did just mention Sylvanus and Mark by name, and it wasn't like uh, we, we don't talk about women's names kind of thing. It was not that. Uh, he's just not talking about an individual person. Um, Don't you feel better now? Okay, good. (laughs) This, um, This testimony of Peter was to serve as an encouragement to the churches that Peter was writing to, to remind them that they were not the only church in the world. I think that problem still persists. Like, we're it and... Well, if you think that, I mean, you're, you're wrong. Take that for what it's worth. Um, Peter wanted to remind the churches that remained that they were not the only ones that remained. And this uh, per- persists today. It also wasn't new to Peter. Remember the prophet Elijah after defeating um 
Jezebel's false prophets and slaughtering them all. Then he runs away and he he runs to the desert, to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and he lays down under a broom tree and he's like, I'm the only one left. And God's like, no, you're not. Suck it up. There's like 700 other people waiting for you that are still remain faithful to me. So this is not abnormal to think that we're all alone. And you know why that is? Because the devil wants us to think that. When you're all by yourself, when you're a legionnaire separated from the legion, you're lunch, man. You are an easy target. That's why... God invented the church so that we don't do this by ourselves. We're not alone. And then individual churches are not alone. Your family meets up and down this road. You might have driven by three or four buildings that your family meets in to get here. It's fine. This is the family God's put you in, and I'm glad. But we're not the only ones. You could add to your prayer list another uh, family thinking along those lines. Uh, the church family in North Springfield, Vermont. Um, the family is small and shrinking and they have decisions to make over selling buildings and uh, things like that. You can pray for their pastor, Dave Young, and his wife, Anne. They're expecting a baby. Things are, are, are very difficult for our brothers and sisters there. And if you want to go visit them on a Sunday morning, they're only three hours from here. Um, but, you know, you drove this far. Uh, I can give you their address, and I'm sure that they would appreciate the encouragement um, of someone going out of their way to visit them. So talk to me after the Lord's poking at you with that. Anyway, when you get there, you can uh, exercise the end of verse 14, um, where our other two key words are held. Mm, yes, kissing. <laughs> uh, well, there it is. Um, the this I the uh, first of these two keywords builds off the idea that churches were not alone, and that is, in fact, greet one another with a kiss of love. So those are the rules, everybody. That's Before you start thinking that the Bible commands us to go around kissing everybody, or now you can say, Pastor told us we have to kiss everybody. Don't forget original. Don't forget COVID. Don't forget. And everybody means everybody. Yeah. Don't forget the context. Don't forget the original audience. And I say that because putting your hands on both shoulders and kissing a person on the cheek was a first century oriental greeting. This is standard practice for everyone, most commonly used by a disciple to their teacher. 
Um, this is why Judas used this greeting to signal to the soldiers which man in their troop was Jesus, because that's what a disciple would do to their teacher. And Peter exhorted everyone in the churches to greet each other in this way. Now, I don't know if you have noticed, but the church has kind of done away with that uh, tradition for the most part. Um, and and rightly so, honestly. Um, it was misused and abused over the centuries. Um, the church decided to make rules that, okay, since people are using this for a vehicle for uh, nefarious, yeah, grossness, like their people are being weird about this. So um, they made a rule. Okay, so now only men can greet men in this way and women can only greet women in this way. Sounds very 2021. Um, so, but by the 13th century, the church had done away with this tradition altogether um, because of its misuse and abuse that was abandoned. So now hugs, handshakes, fist bumps, high fives will all suffice. Um, so they will all replace the kiss. So don't kiss me on the way out. What must not be replaced in our greetings to one another is love. That's the important part. Remembering, like the churches that Peter was writing to, that we don't walk alone, that we don't stand alone, but are united in the love of Christ and love for one another. Our greetings and our meetings should reflect that love. And finally, the last key word, peace. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Peace is something our world desperately craves. But Peter shows us here the reality that peace is only possible. One way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Real peace is not possible without faith in Jesus. In order for anyone to have peace, they need to start with peace with God. You don't get peace from God until you have peace with God. And the only way peace with God is possible is through faith in Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven and we are restored. Paul outlined this beautifully in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's almost like Paul wrote, uh, read Peter's book, or Peter read Paul's book. The fact is the Holy Spirit wrote them both, and the message is consistent. The only way to peace with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And we cannot experience peace with the universe, whatever that means, if we do not have peace with God. By means of the preaching of the gospel, the church has been brought through faith in Christ to the possession and enjoyment of the grace of God, the love of God, and the peace of God. And we should share that with one another. And we should share that with our neighbors. We should share that with our coworkers so that they too might experience this grace and love and peace. That was Peter's desire for the churches of the dispersion. And it is the Holy Spirit's desire for the churches today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace and love and peace. We're thankful for the love you showed by creating us, the love you showed by sending your son to die for our sin, that by your grace, we might be saved through faith in him. And I pray, Father, if anyone that has heard this message that has not received forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, I pray that they would pray to you now, even in the quietness of their own hearts, to ask for your forgiveness, to turn away from their sin, to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was for them to pay the penalty for their sins. And that through faith in him, they might be raised to new life just as Jesus was, filled with your Holy Spirit and become part of this wonderful, quirky family, the family of God. We thank you for your love for your peace, and for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.